May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Speak to us, dear God, we pray, in a way that we can hear, that we might leave here knowing our hearts burn. And together we all said, Amen. Listen in. Lord, we don't need another mountain. There are mountains and hillsides enough to climb. There are oceans and rivers enough to cross, enough to last till the end of time. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just to love. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for This song, written by Burt Bacharach and Hal David, was recorded by Broadway for Orlando, a nonprofit organization that in 2016 recorded this song to raise funds to benefit the victims of the horrible massacre at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida. Those of you may remember that on June 12th, 2016, a man entered the club and shot and killed 49 people and wounded 53 more in a mass shooting at Pulse, a gay nightclub in Orlando. The shooting was the deadliest terror attack in the United States since September 11th and the second only to the 2017 Las Vegas shooting as the deadliest mass shooting in modern American history. The shooting at the Pulse nightclub is also the deadliest incident of violence against LGBTQ plus people in the United States. When we hear of these horrible massacres, this violence, mass shooting after mass shooting, and now the horrible violence we are witnessing in the Middle East, it can be overwhelming, emotionally paralyzing. And in the midst of it all, I hear God speaking to us today through Paul's epistle. I'd like to invite you to join with me in thinking and praying through this topic. Let us love each other to life. Not love each other to death, but love each other to life. Knowing that death and life are in the power of the tongue and our words. In Philippians 4, Paul says to the church at Philippi, my brothers and sisters whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. He concludes our pericope, our reading today, by saying, keep on doing the things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. The New International Version says, and put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. 
In our epistle reading this morning, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi from a Roman prison. This epistle is often called Paul's joy letter because even though he is in prison while writing it, he tells the church to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. The concept of joy or rejoicing appears 16 times in this epistle. 16 times from the pen of one in prison. That's a reminder to us that even when our circumstances, happenings, and situations are challenging, stressful, overwhelming, downright tough, our mindset and our soul set can resist the temptation to feel defeated, divided, and instead can turn the tables and dwell on the experience, the joy that comes from knowing, the love that comes from knowing, and being in relationship with Christ. God gives us a way out of that defeatist mentality and those deficit narratives to respond to life in a way that may be different from how we're currently experiencing it. It may seem to be the exact opposite of how we or others think we should respond. It may seem to be the exact opposite of how we feel. In some instances, it's choosing joy, a joy that the world didn't give us and the world can't take away. In other instances, it is being loving and kind when others are not exhibiting love, when others are exhibiting hate. Paul begins this epistle with a statement of love in the midst of tension and discord and division, even in the church at Philippi, Paul calls on love. He proclaims his love for those in Philippi. And then in the next verse, he calls on two of the members of the church, Euodia and Syntyche, to reconcile and to mend their relationship. We might read through that very quickly, but I want to pause right there. This call to reconcile, to love, is no small matter. These two women were instrumental in the formation of this new church at Philippi. These two women were instrumental in sharing a witness of the risen Christ. These two women, now divided, could also now be those that, that actually helped to hurt what Paul and others had worked so tirelessly to create. So in order for this new church built on the love of Christ to grow and to sustain, to be effective and to be impactful, this broken relationship needed to be reconciled. Is there someone that you need to reconcile with in the church, in your home, in your family, in our community, so that the love of God can dwell in the midst and change and transform and work through you? Reconciliation is no small task, and for some reason, it's often even more difficult when it's personal, when it's intimate, when it's one-on-one -on -one versus societal and big. Reconciliation requires truth, and love holds space for that truth. The text is a plea to unify. The text is a plea to love others as Christ also loves them. Paul knows that division breeds death. He knows that every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and a house divided against a house falleth. I think that the word love 
can sometimes fall on deaf ears because we hear it used so often. In general, I think that many of us, when hearing that love is the way, or that all we need to do is to love and to be more loving, would generally agree, and then we would go out and run our errands and tick down our to-do list without giving much thought to it again. But today, I plead that you might tune into this discussion on love with fresh ears. Another Paul, Paul Tillich, makes a plea for love in his book entitled Love, Power, and Justice, Ontological Analysis and Ethical Applications. Long title. Tillich admits that the idea of discussing and writing about these big terms, love, power, and justice, can be daunting because these terms carry such weight, such history, and so many problems. But he addresses them with such skill and thought and untangles the meanings that saturate these words. Tillich says that love is the drive towards the unity of the separated. And it constantly pushes towards reunion. And in this way, it finds itself united with the compulsory elements of power in order to destroy what lies against love. Dr. King took that idea and those teachings and applied it when he said that power and love must be reconsidered and joined together because love without power is anemic and sentimental and power without love can be unjust and abusive. Love compels us to reconcile with each other through truth and with God. I've experienced this reconciliation and the power of love in my own life. My mother was a white woman from Minnesota who came to Spelman College in 1968. While there, she met my father, fell in love, told her family in Minnesota that she was going to marry this black man in Georgia. My grandfather could not bear it and commenced on a hate letter writing campaign. My parents defied that, married. And one evening, while my mother was carrying me in her belly, they went on a date night to the Rialto Theater. While out there, they were held at gunpoint by a white man who didn't approve of their union and who definitely didn't approve of the fruit of the union, and he pointed the gun at her belly. So I often realized that I was held at gunpoint in utero for hatred. Thankfully, we made it through that situation. My parents decided a year and a half later to take me to meet my grandfather. And when we got there, my father tells the story that I toddled my way up to him and leaped as well as a little one and a half to two-year-old can leap. And my grandfather caught me and pulled me to him and cried. And from that day on, he never said another hateful word. The reconciliation that love calls us to is real. Love calls us to act. It compels us to make use of our agency and our being. Love compels us to sacrifice. We see it witnessed by our God who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to be sacrificed on our behalf. Love compels us to sacrifice our egos if we look at conflict upon conflict, I bet we could see a common theme in many of those conflicts, ego. Love compels us to turn away from our default patterns. You know, those patterns that 
When someone steps on your foot, you say something. When someone cuts you off in traffic, you have a few words to utter. Our default patterns, when someone says something that you don't agree with, that you want to contend with, you say some things that are very contrary to a loving manner and a loving way. Love compels us to lay aside political divisions and partisan thinking and tactics so that we might actually hear and listen to understand rather than listen to counter. Love compels us to sacrifice our comfort, come outside of your bubbles and your old beliefs of what love looks like, to come outside of your comfort zones and consider that there might be something different, a new way for love to be expressed, that you might actually encounter someone of a different race, a different gender, a different sexual orientation, and appreciate their very humanity. Love compels us to sacrifice our fear and to love widely. The love of God is so wide that you can't get around it. It is so deep that you can't get under it. It is so high that you can't get above it. As followers and lovers of this living God, how much more should we? In Dr. Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail, he says that the clergy who criticized him for his activism and his push toward justice tried to characterize him as an extremist. King states in the letter that he was concerned by that characterization, but then realized that he was in good company. He said, but was not Jesus an extremist for love? How extreme is it to love your enemies? to bless them that curse you, to do good to them that hate you, and to pray for them who despitefully use you and persecute you. He says, on that dramatic scene of ultimate sacrifice, Calvary's Hill, three men were crucified. We must never forget that the three were crucified for the same crime, he says, the crime of extremism. Two were extremists for immorality and thus fell below their environment. The other, Jesus Christ, was an extremist for love, truth, and goodness, and therefore rose above his environment. I dare say today that we as a church, as a country, as a world, are in dire need of extremists for love. Love also compels us to embrace others with grace. Too many of us Christians try to have what I call a gates of heaven perspective rather than a so love the world perspective. If we are honest, we sometimes focus too much on who we think is worthy of heaven or who we think is worthy of hell. But I've always been taught that man and woman cannot send you to heaven, so don't let them send you to hell. Who is worthy of being included in our parties, around our tables? We are so focused on that that we no longer live as a disciple, follower, or imitator of Christ. Christ sat at tables with and extended grace to folks who were not the popular kids in school, who were thrown out, the outcasts, the ones who didn't have enough money or the best clothes, who didn't belong to our country club, our golf course, or our rotary club, or even our church. Those are the ones that Christ supped with, broke bread with, and drank wine with. Those are the ones that Christ loved and saw and heard and extended grace to. What would it look like if we spent more time trying to love others, regardless of their race, 
their gender, their sexual orientation or expression, regardless of their socioeconomic status, regardless of where they grew up, regardless of what school they went to, what would it look like if we tried to find ways to connect across those differences? What would it look like if we celebrated our differences and embraced our peculiarities? Oh, what a beautiful mosaic awaits. Finally, love compels us to love out loud. Someone say out loud. A little louder. Paul says in verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. To love out loud means to act justly, to do justice. Justice is what love looks like in public. In Tillich's book that I referred to earlier, justice, he says that justice is the form in which the power of being actualizes itself. He goes on to state that justice preserves what love reunites. Justice is the form in which and through which love performs its work. The prophet Micah says, and what does the Lord require of you to act justly? That means to work, to amplify the humanity of all through public policy and expectations that we place on those who we vote into office. Whoo! Look at what's happening now. Acting justly means to stand up loudly for those who can't stand up for themselves, to be constructively loud, strategically loud, through philanthropic investments, to innovatively find solutions that we can't keep relying on the government to find and solve for, to find solutions to move some of those mountains we are facing today. To act justly means to loudly love those who have been left out because of their race or their sexual orientation or their ability or their gender. To love loudly means those whom Jesus would have supped with today are included in our strategies, in our investments, in our tithe, in our lives. So then we are not only to think on being noble as Paul tells us at the end of this text. We're not only to think on being right. We're not only to think on being pure or lovely or admirable, but he goes on to say that we are then to put that into practice. And when we do, the God of peace will be with us. Our love of others is tied to our love of God. Our forgiveness of others is tied up in our love of others and of God. Lord, forgive me my sins as I forgive those of others. Our worship is tied up in our love of others. Our healing of our land, our country, our world is tied up in our love for each other. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Langston Hughes, famous poet, wrote, I dream a world where man and woman and no other man will scorn, where love will bless the earth and peace its path adorn. I dream a world where where all will know sweet freedom's way where greed no longer saps the soul, nor avarice blights the day. Of such I dream, my world. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. 
What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. Amen.